The views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect that of the Up Together organization. I'm Candy Marie. And I'm Mena Diaz, and welcome to the Moving Up Together podcast. Mena, if you were offered a raise or a new job making more money, what would you do? Well, you know, if it wasn't shady, illegal, or, you know, otherwise, (laughs) I'd be like, yeah, absolutely. Well, for many people who receive public benefits, it's not that simple. Earning more money could actually cause them more harm than good. It's like Biggie said, mo money, mo problems. Yeah. And we listen to Biggs. Okay. We do. So let's talk about this. Joining us today to share their story is Arlisa Hurd. And Arlisa lives in Detroit. And while taking a higher paying job, she made too much to receive benefits, but not enough to really get ahead. Right. So this is a whole dilemma in itself. So she took on a second job. So Arlisa, thank you so much for being here today with us. Thank you. I'm glad to be here too and share my story. So we like to kind of kick things off with a little bit of a personal touch. So what's a fun fact um, about you that you can tell us? That I can tell you and won't be arrested for it? Okay, so. <laughs> Love it. Um, as a kid, you know, I was always um, hooked on jingles was just a big thing of mine. And so, um, and there's a whole nother backstory about that, but I used to, I used to do commercials uh, in, in the, just, and I would have the board written out, you know, and just, and I will never forget my sister had friends over because my sisters were like 13 years older than me. So they were teenagers and I was this little kid and I would actually have them come in and watch me do a commercial about a product or something really crazy I just you know I've never told anybody that I'm but I just oh that's crazy so I love it I can see it I can see you doing jingles and commercials you have the personality for it yeah jingles and commercials I used I just always remember just you know um one of my favorites was the um see the Bible boat the fake well the Fago song I just love that song but yeah but stuff like but don't get me talking like that so y'all I was, I was gonna put you on the side and say do you remember the jingle can we hear a little of the jingle yeah. <laughs> comic books and rubber bands climbing to the treetops falling down and holding hands bicycles and red pop remember when you were a kid what part <laughs> of you still is and that's why we Drink Fago. Yes! <laughs> I love it. I, I love it. I still remember it, right? Yeah. I guess, yeah, there's just random things that stick with you, right? Especially just yeah. growing up and listening to advertisement. Radio does that, so. Yes, it does. Um, yes. Okay, so can you tell us a little bit about your family? So I have two sons, uh, Judah and CJ, they probably kill me saying their names, but anyway, they're used to it because mama's always talking about them. Um, they're 10 years apart. Um, my oldest son has a sickle cell. And I mentioned that because uh, when you have a child that has a chronic illness, it has a way of growing you and showing you a lot of things about your life, their life, and what it is um, and it also highlights, I think, um, cause I'm a single parent. So it really, um, it grows you up in a lot of ways and it helps to perspective is a little different. 
Um, and so my older son has a sickle cell disease. So needless to say, it has been quite a journey. However, he's okay. He does well. He has good days and bad days. Um, but there was a time then, you know, for sickle cell patients that age of 27 was, was more, was more than just a dream. Yeah. Um, with all of the technology and medication and different things, now people are living longer. However, it's still, uh, there's still no cure for it and people are still dying from it. However, people are surviving. And then my youngest son, Judah, who is 16 years old and, Funny thing is, uh, when I was pregnant with him, the first thing I wanted to know was, my God, does he have sickle cell? And he does not. And so I was like, great, huh, we can breathe because we spent a majority of our lifetime in hospital rooms and all that um, with, with my oldest son. And so, but he um, also has ADHD, which I didn't think was a real thing. You know, <laughs> um, I grew up with that. Oh, honey, just stop giving them sugar. That just means, you know, ADHD, honey, that ain't nothing. That just means you need to you need to discipline a little more. I heard all of those things and believe some of that until one day my son was in a um, a program for all the little kids in his class, and he literally bounced the entire time. He he and and his dad and I we looked at each other and we were like, he can't help it. He can't help it. That's not sugar. That something is going. And so started to really pay attention. And I was like, oh God, am I going to have, are, are there more challenges coming? You know, I just really. And so um, this time, instead of um, accommodations for hospital stays and stuff, this child needed accommodations as it related to academics and education. Mm -hmm. And it was has been quite a journey. And so fast forward to today, we still have challenges. I, you know, my, my daytime life, I'm in the fight education in a lot of different ways on a lot of different fronts. Um, advocating have always advocated for my children in the school system because I had to, because there were things that they needed um, and shortcomings that I really saw that kept me on that front line. And so fast forward to today, Judah is, he's an 11th grader. He plays football. He's pretty good at it. Um, sports, organized sports helps save him in a lot of different areas. However, we still have challenges and ADHD is a real thing because I see it in him every day. Although through some therapy and different things we've learned to manage, but we still have challenges. So, um, that's a little bit about my family, my, you know, if we need to go further back than that, I'm also a, a PK. My father was a preacher. Um, my father, he passed in 2014, uh, 97 years old. Uh, and so, but my mom is still alive and well and feisty as ever. And she's, uh, I grew up in that oil slanging Bible toting household, praying demons out of every corner. <laughs> That's the household. And then I went on about my own life and became a demon myself and just lived a whole different kind of way. So we know the story. So yeah. So anyway, but that's, but, but honestly though, um, learned a lot, grew a lot, cried a lot, heard a lot. Um, but yet and still, uh, finding a way to still live this life and going to continue to live it to my best. So that's a little bit about me. I don't know. Wow. 
Minna, I am enthralled. Do you hear me? Like, as soon as I heard her say PK, I was like, I already know. I already know what it is. Like, right. I already That's know. That's the parent, too. Yeah. Absolutely. And thank you for what you said also about ADHD, because that is a conversation that um, we're starting to now hear within our communities that we didn't talk about. And a lot of us are living with ADHD and we're wondering why, okay, what's going on? Why, you know, why can't I take these tests? Why can't I focus? Like what's going on? But a lot of us, we just didn't talk about that in our, in our families, in our neighborhoods. So thank you for saying that because now we're starting to, that's starting to be a part of the conversation. Absolutely. And, and speaking of our families and what's familiar, uh, the American dream. Let's talk about the American dream. It basically says if you work hard enough, you can get the house with the white picket fence and live happily ever after. But we know that that's not true. There are millions of families receiving public benefits who can't even accept a five or 10 cent raise because if they do, they will lose their benefits. But the five to 10 cent raise doesn't come close to making up the difference in housing, childcare, food, or other benefits. And if they take the raise, they will end up worse off financially. But if they turn it down, then they are labeled lazy or as someone who just wants the government to take care of them. And that's called the cliff effect or the benefits cliff. And I don't think enough people know about it, but that is why we, you know, we're doing this show and that's why we want to talk about it. Tell us about your experience with the benefits cliff. So, you know, this, this is really something that's near and dear to my heart because I, you know, I'm a, I'm an advocate for education but um, I tell people all the time, the thing about education, everything that's happening in the household shows up in the classroom. And so that's from the employment to healthcare, all of these issues touch us. And so um, single parent and household size small, however, educated and degreed. Okay, I want you to think about that for a moment. And so um, made some money, but certainly not in the six-figure status, like I believe that I am due. However, um, what I found out was if you made thirty dollars to $40,000, you can forget it in terms of qualifying for a lot of benefits. And so I remember in the early days, especially because my oldest son at Sickle Spell, we had, um, he qualifies for SSI. Mm-hmm because of the disability and all of the other expenses and things that come with having a child with an illness. Well, the thing about SSI is you have to qualify income wise. Well, when my income was at a lower level, I've always worked, I've, I've, I've always worked, but um, years ago, like when my oldest son was younger, the, uh, the qualifications and eligibility of the benefits look a little bit differently than they do now. So I always worked, but I didn't quite qualify. And I found out that even though, uh, as I continued to go up the quote career ladder, I guess you could say, as I began to get maybe one or two dollars more, mm-hmm. qualified less and less for benefits. And so then what became what happened? Um, you get creative sometimes, and I'll just leave it like that. Yes, ma'am. How you can qualify for benefits. Because here was the thing, my son qualifying for SSI is attached to him having Medicaid. And for a sickler who spends, who's had more than at this point in his life, more than 50 hospitalizations, I could not, I was not making the kind of money to dare take on um, the medical expense 
that that was. Back in those days, we didn't have Obamacare yet. People were still, so the, this is some of the things, how all of these issues that we feel doesn't really necessarily impact us, how it really does, including who we're putting in the seats and who we're electing to represent our interests, right? Because even though I was making a living, my son still had to have medical care, which was attached to SSI, which was attached to whether or not I qualified income-wise. If we got making 13 or $14 an hour at that time, booted us out of really qualifying for benefits and it was terrible. And so you have to get creative. And so I continue to see that kind of thing play out over and over till eventually uh, we had to really get creative by the time, you know, as, 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 my, as, as things began to develop for me over and over, we had more and more, we had to get real creative in how he would be able to maintain benefits and I could still make a living because what was not an option, what was not an option was me quitting my job and us living off of a social security and SSI check. I don't know if anybody knows about it. Nobody can survive off of Nobody. that. Absolutely. It's completely, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And what's even more ridiculous is a lot of these programs use your, your gross which is so insane to me. They use yeah. gross to determine eligibility. I don't even get my gross. So why are we using this? And then I got some kind of weird explanation. I mean, nobody could ever really explain, but some kind of weird explanation about, I don't know, taxes and I, whatever it is, it didn't make sense to me. And so I found myself there over and over again. And real quick, I just want to to kind of put it in perspective because um, medical stays, we all know are expensive, right? But hospitalizations, you're looking at upwards of $50,000 and that could be possibly with insurance. Has anyone ever gotten one of those bills, like LabCorp bills or anything in the mail? You, you yes, up, you're like, this oh. year. you shudder at even looking at it. Like you don't even want to open it. So it's like, you're looking at thousands of dollars, even even testing an MRI, I think nowadays is about $7,000, um, you know, and your, your health insurance, if you have a job, if you have only cover, you know, if that's after you pay your deductible. So if you haven't even paid your deductible, that's a, you know, you're, Ooh. you're on the hook for $7,000. So having a son that has been in and out of the hospital, there was no way you could man I mean, what were you looking at? If you don't mind me asking, were you looking at the thousands of dollars or made sure to stay on the Medicaid? Because that would cover it, but it was hurting in the other aspect as far as what even, you know, saving money or anything. So I was looking at all of that. The biggest thing for me was, okay, I think I, I kind of felt like this. Look, if we have to do without the money, fine. We, you know, listen, struggle is not uncommon. We're going to figure out you know what I'm saying? We're going to be creative in whatever side hustles we need to do. But the medical was something that I could not even fathom. I can't even imagine. On top of, now listen, I felt, you, I, I, here I am, a degreed mom. I already have thousands of dollars in debt in, because um, I didn't go to college and stop. I, go to co I went to college and completed. So I had thousands of dollars in debt for college degree on top of all the other crazy, maybe irresponsible things that either I did or felt like I had to do in order to be able to survive, um, including 
we're, and we're not even going to, we're going to layer on cars and car insurance and all these other things. So I could not imagine trying to take on any kind of a medical bill or the fact of my son possibly being denied coverage if we had to ever go into the hospital. And we're not talking about a kid who might go into the hospital or you may go five or six years without being hospitalized. No, we're talking about a kid that had to have routine follow-up every three months, blood work, at least twice a year in the hospital. One thing was for certain, it was guaranteed around this time of year when the seasons changed and when it got really, really hot. It was something about July and October that always landed us in the hospital. Yeah. And for five, six, four, the shortest day, two days, the longest, my son was in ICU at one point. We qualified the Make-A-Wish Foundation because I thought I was going to lose my son at seven years old. Do you think I would have been able to handle the bill that comes along with that? And which is why a lot, why some of this has just made me so furious because we continually elect people. We continually listen to promises, but people are not doing what's best for the people. I don't care about party. Do what's right for the people. Think about your grandmother or the cousins that you know never seem to make it and you're always judging that they don't have or what they haven't done responsibly. Think about how, how is this life, how are these decisions impacting them? It matters. And so I could not even, I couldn't even imagine what that would be like. Life is stressful enough rather than me to worry about a hospital bill. Are you kidding? So yeah, so for me, those kinds of decisions, I always say that sometimes in this country, we push people to be criminals because think about some of the decisions, and I think we all know, some of the decisions that people have had to make based on they either did not qualify for something or they didn't quite meet the mark, but what they had to have was absolutely necessary. And one of the biggest things is car insurance, especially in the city of Detroit. We have people that are electing or choosing to be criminals, so to speak, because they consider it fraud every day, simply because, but they have to drive. We don't have, you know, so these are just some of the small things that happens, all of these unintended consequences that result as a result of some politician or some area of the legislature or some corporation, some employer not willing to work with or make room for, or just take care of their people. If folks just make decisions to take care of the people, I believe it's an investment that pays off down the line. But because of greed, I don't know, whatever you call it, it's not happening. And this is, and these are some of the decisions that I've had to make over time because I needed to survive with my family. And I'm sorry because you shouldn't have had to. Especially with a lot of the situations, if you're going in and out of the hospital with your son, you should be able to just focus on your son. But the fact that you have to worry about bills and the aftermath of that visit, that's not fair. So with that being said, you know, what do you think, uh, what kind of awareness do you think we're going to have to create so that we can start talking and, and make this a part of the conversation? Because this is impacting families. You're not the only mom that has to deal with this. So what do you think the people need to do as a whole to, to bring what's going on with the benefits clift um, to make it a part of the conversation? Well, uh, one thing I'll say just in terms of medical, one of the best things I think that happened to us in this country was the Obamacare or 
um, what is, well, we coined it Obamacare, but I forget the, the technical name for it. But I think that, right, regardless of all the naysayers who's claiming this and that, that has saved a lot of lives and it has really taken a lot of burden off of some people. I know friends who, because of the type of jobs that they do, they're contractors and all of that, they could not afford uh, to directly pay into an, um, an insurance system. But I have friends who were able to catch breast cancer and get mammograms as a result of having Obamacare. Mm-hmm. So and in that respect, yes, it was absolutely necessary. The other thing though, um, I would like to see is more advocacy on behalf of those who may not necessarily have the voice or who may not necessarily know how to navigate the system. And by, and by that, I mean this, let's just keep it real. Uh, for a lot of folks who are, apply, or families who have um, qualified or applied for any kind of assistance or benefits, traditionally speaking, uh, some of those folks are not some of the most, I'm, I'm talking about the system, those employees who have to receive those families and talk to those families and help them go through an intake process we have, I've heard plenty of times, even in my own experience from many years ago, some of those folks are not the most friendly. No. Some of those folks are not the most inviting. They're not the most welcoming. It's all, for some people applying for benefits, and I think probably for most people, this is not what they want to do or aspire to do in life. You may have one or two, but people would much rather be earning good money on their own, providing for their families. But if they're applying for benefits, it's because they can't do better, regardless of how they got there. They just need help. Just help. And so I think advocacy is a big part of that. And then also, I just think some of these state agencies really need to do a sweep of their systems, making sure that their employees are trained culturally. You know, sometimes we have this uh, mentality, a lot of us are operating, a lot of our corporate systems are still operating in a dominant culture or white supremacy culture, which, um, and there are, there are a lot of things that have landed people to where they are, you know, and so, and there, and some people just can't do any better. And then, so some folks have all these preconceived notions about people that they're supposed to help. Yeah. So I think there is a number of things in addition to like advocacy and also trainings on the internal parts of uh, agencies and, and, and some of these things, you need to just do a sweep. How are yeah. your employees thinking? Where do they live? Are they volunteering their time? Are they taking up time in the communities in which they serve? Have them dedicate some hours. I ain't talking about a checklist. Make them jokers, get up off their duff and go. What about adopting a particular family for a month and following them? What about some kind of report? Just doing some kind of a case study or some kind of internal reports out or just to see what it's like to meet with families. How's about having... Um, Uh, almost like focus groups with some of the families that you're serving. Talk to them and find out how did they get here? What's happening? Just so you can build rapport and an understanding of where people are, because that's what this is really all about. And then the last thing is, you need to make sure, I don't care what you got to do. Everybody got one of these. This is a computer. Mm -hmm. Okay, use it. Look at some of these jokers that's on the ballot and find out. Yep. Who's supporting these people? Where are they getting their funding from? If they're being supported by all of the people who have all kinds of uh, interests that's against yours, guess what? 
that joker ain't the one that you want to elect. We need to be a little bit more diligent about who we're placing in the seats. And also to understand, I understand that the general elections, uh, presidency, all of that, those, the national, that is important. But guess what? You need to hop on and understand what's happening in these state legislatures mm -hmm. because that is what's determining your quality of life from day to day. And all of these jokers that's smiling in our faces, coming down and showing up three months before an election and promising us the world, ain't got no business saying you represent anything about me. We can look at everything, how things have changed. Look at the wealth gap. Look at the inequities in our education system. Look at how people are working hard, but then they don't have enough money. Now, listen, I don't mean to offend anybody by what I'm about to say. COVID was a blessing and a curse because it set everybody down at the same time. And it caused a lot of people to have to think. When people started getting a thousand, I'm talking about Michigan. I don't know what the other states are doing. When people were getting a thousand dollars a week in unemployment benefits, they started making some decisions. Like, I am catching two buses to work, $500 a week, can't find anybody to watch my kids, childcare is killing me, but I can get $1,000 a week to sit this one out. I'm gonna take my chances these six months that I have to sit and I'm gonna reevaluate myself and I'm gonna see if I can take this money. You know how many people started their own businesses mm -hmm. during that COVID money? I see more food trucks, more barbecue grills on the corner, people with signs. Folks are into all kinds, jewelry selling business, jewelry making, fashion, you name it. People begin to look at some things and say, wait a minute, I can live a different kind of, I don't have to take this. People were forced to take a look and guess what? It made the corporate structure bow because when families started approaching employers and saying, hey, I can't find anybody to keep my kids. Getting here at 745 is too early for me. My kids have to be at school 830, 9 o'clock. I can't do it. A lot of employers were like, too bad. <laughs> Lose your job there. You got to do what I got to do. But guess what? All of that noise was shut up because we see signs every single place. I thought you didn't have the money to pay people to stay at home and work. I thought you couldn't do that. I right. thought you couldn't never pay anybody $15 an hour to flip That's a burger. What happened? This is what I'm saying. All of these things began to happen because I believe that there's only so long that you can forsake the people before the earth speaks and before the universe speaks. You cannot continue to mistreat people and continue to have the blessings. It just don't work like that. Yes, I think you brought up so many great points. People just aren't connected to the cause. You know, a lot of our leaders, a lot of the people that work at a lot of these benefit centers, they're not connected to the cause. Um, people are losing sight of their own humanity. They're sitting there, they're just collecting a check, but they don't care. But that ends now. And it takes people like you, it takes people like us using our voices and speaking up, complaining, calling, you know, because who wants to go and ask for help if somebody's judging you? If they're looking at you crazy or if their tone is off, you know, if they're offending you, they're not making you feel as if you can actually go to them for help. If they're making you feel like you're a nuisance or like you're a problem or like you're getting on their nerves, like either way, nobody wants to deal with that. Um, so thank you for voicing your, your opinion, voicing your concerns, voicing the things that have also impacted you and that you've experienced because that's where it starts. It starts with us. So thank you. Thank you. The other great point that you brought up was for us to do our due diligence as well. 
not only on our politicians, but also on the state, you know, local, even county wise, who was your sheriff? Do you guys know who your sheriff is? What do they stand for? Um, you know, who's your governor? Who's your mayor? Who, what are they working? What are the people under them working? Um, you know, we do like, I remember I used to joke about how terribly boring C-SPAN was. <laughs> yeah. But you, but you know what, as I've gotten older, I'm like, you know what, right. at least pull it up on YouTube and see what they're voting on, you know, and and I know that's more so on a federal level, but there, there's there are town hall meetings and there are, you know, things on a local level where we need to be more present at if we want those changes, we need to be present. We need to do our due diligence. We need to read um, and then be able to, you know, give our requests or make our requests in an informed manner. That's right. You know, so I really appreciate you for saying that as well, because it, it kind of it puts a fire under my behind because I'm like, I need to do better. Right. Like I need to go and I need to do some more reading. Like you set your time aside in the morning to have, you know, your your Bible study and your devotions. You got to set aside time for that as well, because we cannot let our people continue to fall down this rabbit hole. that just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And like you mentioned, that wealth gap that's happening and it's it's happening to many of us, not just yeah. black, brown, Asian, but it's also happening to white folk as well. It's, it's a whole group of people. Listen, somebody benefits from all of us not talking and from us not getting together on the issues. Yeah. I, and if you really look at it, any, any leader who attempts to unite, not by color, mm -hmm. but by issue, start looking at the opposition that they get because we are more alike than we are different. Of course, there are a lot of things that happen in our communities and stuff that we need to address yes. on, on our own. We understand that. But if you look at when people are trying to unite people just on the issues, look at the opposition at the pushback right now. I think, you know, education is on the ballot across the country. If just look at, just look at some of the things that have come up. And it's no coincidence that it's only it's all across different states. It's, it would be different if we, for instance, if critical race theory was an issue only in one state. Right. Why is it across the board? Right. Why, why are certain groups of certain groups of legislators and politicians taking it up? Mm -hmm. Why is that? We have more than 500 school board elections are happening here in the state of Michigan. And there is a concerted effort to flip some of the boards that are currently there. Why is that? I'm bringing these up is because a lot of these things are not just done haphazardly. There are all kinds of back rooms and smoky rooms where strategy is being discussed and talked about. People are actually, and this is no one party over another. There are people that are grooming other people to take seats because of the long-term plan that they have in store. This is what I'm saying. We have to do our homework. And of course, policy is not sexy. Nobody wants to talk about this, but our lives depend on it. And listen, we spend so much time on social media anyway. Why not just take 15, 20 minutes to look up a couple people and see what they're all about? And this is, I think the more we talk about this, the more that we have a podcast like this, not to just talk about, you know, pop political stuff, but stuff that impacts families and our everyday lives and how it ties into our political system. It does. It makes a difference. 
political systems make a difference in how we're educated, where we live, how the taxes are being divvied up, whether or not you qualify for repairs on your home based on the market value of your home. I live in a poor community where most of the homes are valued at less than $25,000. Guess what? Banks won't loan to us for repairs because our properties aren't worth it. So those are things that come out like, wait a minute, who's fighting for us? Who's speaking up for us? These are some of the kind of things that we don't realize are all connected because somebody wants to keep us distracted. Somebody benefits when we all don't know, when we waste our time doing a bunch of other stuff. And then when, we, when we're not talking to each other. The worst thing I think for some of these players who just want to stay greedy and fat and keep it all to themselves, their worst nightmare is if black, white, brown, yellow start talking and comparing our issues together and your name on the issues, yeah. that's the worst nightmare. That's the biggest threat. Watch and see. That's what I think. That top percentage of people who are not allies, who want to keep it the way it is, they don't want us to start comparing notes and saying, wait a minute, but you're dealing with this too? I, they told us, according to what we see on TV, it's just us. No, it ain't. It's everybody. I agree. And that's why we're normalizing the conversation and we are moving up together, regardless of what they say. And we are doing it in a way that is relatable, you know, and that's why we always say just be yourself because your yeah. voice matters, you know, as authentic as it is, bring it because you could talk about it here on the Moving Up Together podcast. Yeah, this is what I was always told. If you tell your story, then the devil can't blackmail you with it. If I tell it, I'm going to tell it right. Mm -hmm. And then I'm letting it all out there so that if I do hear it later, it's already out there. So I, I can't feel some kind of way about it because I let the cat out of the bag. So it was rough for me to share, okay, here I am trying to make it right, a degreed person mm -hmm. um, and still not making it. And I had reality checks along the way. When my oldest son said to me, one day I was just fussing about, you know, I was like, I don't understand how, you know, you can listen to this and that, and you're not taking in all the right, you know how we want our kids to do all the right stuff, all the stuff that we didn't even do, but we want them to be better than us. Yeah. The reality is, I want you to do what I didn't do. And my son said this to me that stood me up. And I tell this story today. He said, well, Ma, you got two degrees and we're still in the hood. Wow. How did that hit you, though? Oh, my first reaction was I wanted the claws to come out like a, you ever seen like one of them lions, gosh, just the scrap. But I could have cried. Yeah. Because I wasn't sure. Because, you know, we grow up in this thing where you rate your value and whether or not you've made it based yeah. on where you live, what you've acquired and how you live in. Yeah. But none of that stuff has value because when you six feet under, they're not going to look at how many Cadillacs you own or whether or not you drove a BMW or carried a Louis Vuitton. I like Louis Vuitton, by the way. <laughs> they're not going to look at that. What yeah. I want to know is what kind of legacy did you leave behind? Mm -hmm. Who's carrying on your name? What impact did I have in this? Are they still talking about the work that you did when you moved on? Do your children remember the things you said? Like when my father died, 
everything became reality to me. All the stuff he always told me, all of us, and now I could play it back. Like he always told me 50 cents of your own is better than a dollar of somebody else's. But you know, that's how it is. We, we really yeah. grow to appreciate people that we love once they're moved on. But I had to, when my son came with that, I, it set me down. And I had to really ask myself, okay, it, am I, am I, is it based on what he's, and I had to look at some stuff too, because from his perspective, we weren't doing well and we're not, we don't, we're not doing well based on where we are, what we have, what I drive. And I had to really think about it. What am I trying to prove? You know, what are we doing? And so that's part of my reason for sharing my story because I think we're more alike in a lot of ways than what people would, what we really like to tell people that we are. You know, sometimes in our culture, we come from that, don't talk about him and all of that lowdown stuff that it gets buried down in families. Nobody talk about it, but you live with the stress and the trauma of doing all, keeping all those secrets. I think we just need to expose some stuff. Yes, I work this and yes, I have that, but I'm not doing well, y'all. And here's why. And I and that's that's part of some of what we kind of shared earlier about how if all of the cross communities, cross colors, cross cultures started comparing notes, we'll start to see now, wait a minute. We're struggling and scrapping and scraping, but the but the people at the top, they get you get seven figures. You got how many houses? Make that make sense. Make it make sense. And you record record breaking profits and you still come into the city to ask for tax abatements and all kinds of tax breaks. But your workers are not. Wait a minute. Hold it. It's that kind of stuff. And so for me, it was a reality check. But it was also it helped me to understand that it's OK. It's OK if you don't have everything you want. Because maybe talking about it has saved somebody else's life. And maybe sharing the stories, enough stories, may help push some folks to act. And also talking about it is also healing for you and your family. It is. Like we literally just said that whole, what happens in this house stays in this house. That has crippled so many families. Oh, yeah. You know, a lot of times that anger that you have, I don't know if you ever heard about this, but the anger that you have isn't yours because we pass down things through our DNA. We pass down things through our bloodline because it didn't end with us. We didn't heal it with us. So I praise you for having that conversation with your son, no matter how painful it was, it had to be had because now you guys can take a bold step forward to making those changes together, yeah. you know? Yeah. I'm proud of you for having that, that conversation with him. Thank you. Well, I, well, you know, we're still praying for those two brothers, those two boys of mine. Because, you know, they there's a lot of things that they're faced with and challenged with, too. You know, because a lot, unfortunately, and it's always been this way. You know, there's always been emphasis on, you know, gain. Because we, we want to have good things. We don't want to live fancy and have all this stuff. And, and unfortunately, we're also in a culture where we're surrounded, we're bombarded by all of these messages all of the time. Right. At least there was a time when I was growing up, the TV went off at a certain time. Yeah. TV was closed at a certain time. We didn't have social media that's giving us all these images about everybody getting money and everybody living good and everybody doing well. And so all of those, it's just mixing in and it doesn't, it complicates things. It's great to have things, but it also complicates the message. And I think a lot of it gets lost, but the more that we could 
begin to understand and, and grow ourselves and learn from some of these things and having that communication within our own circles and our families and helping our kids to also understand that there's more to this world than just getting, not being so preoccupied with acquiring, but sometimes lending a hand to others, volunteering, doing some things in the community to help change your perspective. Getting to see some things also helps to open you up too. We usually end the podcast with a segment called free game, but I mean, she literally gave us free game through literally throughout the whole thing. So literally, Kenny, you got a question? It was all free game. You know, basically, you know, what we'd like to do is just drive some more of these really great points home, which I think we did a lot of just in terms of, you know, what advice would you give policymakers or government officials who make these choices? Because our goal is to speak directly to them. So my question to you is, what do you think they should stop doing or start doing in order to make a change and make a difference? I would say spend some time in communities, not just the ones, the districts that you represent, but spend some time in other communities that you feel that you have had, only you will know this, that you felt some kind of way about. Put yourself in vulnerable situations. I would say if you are part of the dominant culture, meaning if you've been exposed to privilege or living your life, let's say as a white person or a person, a not a person of non, a, a, um, not a person of color, how about you start showing up to events where you're the minority hmm. and then start checking how you're feeling about that and let that be a launching pad for some things with yourself. You understand? Uh, let that be a launching pad. I think that is some of how we break some of this, spending time understanding what it's like to live in other areas or in other ways that we've never, that you've never been exposed to. And furthermore, let's break that cycle of your corporate sponsors. I understand elections cost money, but I would like to get more legislators, more politicians, well, I should say, more folks to represent us who are not so hung up on the money. I'm very concerned about career politicians. Mm. They've made a career out of politics. But at the same time, I do understand that you also need people who can kind of build relationships and can move things through legislators and, and through uh, things like that. So policy is created. But I think that the more that um, our elected officials spend time with um, the community, spend time and with our youth, you know, and just not just, not in a token way, have some conversations with them, not just one. Spend some time, right. Spend some time. Take a couple of families for that entire year to just find out how they're living. Ask them some questions. See where the drop-offs are. You'll be able to see, you know, folks didn't get like this overnight. There were a series of things that have led to this. My sons were having this conversation about, you know, money and different things, you know, especially in the, like in the city of Detroit, you know, it costs money to drive. It costs money. We have, we have situations, especially for uh, young, a lot of young brothers could go like this. You get caught up on a lot of license infractions. You got tickets, can't get your license, can't get your license, but you still need to drive. Well, you drive anyway because you may have a job. You may not have a job, but you're hustling to make money. You get caught, pulled over. Guess what? The cycle repeats. Then you could possibly be jailed based on where the tickets were and what happens. 
So then you have all of that. So you have families. I mean, it's just this cycle. If you start peeling back the layers, you'll understand it's not because people are lazy or they're criminally minded. It is because these systems, these systemic things, systemic oppression, these systems that are continuing to operate on autopilot continue to just um, cripple us time and time again. And it's a domino effect. I love it. Well, we we appreciate you so much for being here and being so open, honest, and transparent. We want to thank all, all of our listeners uh, for joining us today. If you think change is needed, please contact your state and federal representatives to share your views or your stories and ask them what they are doing to address it. Also, we urge you to find local organizations advocating for this and other issues you're passionate about, and we ask you to get involved. I'm Candy Marie. And I'm Mena Diaz, and thank you so much for listening to the Moving Up Together podcast. Moving Up Together was created by the national nonprofit Up Together and produced by Creative Differences. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.